Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hola, niñas y niños. Welcome to another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. This week's podcast is presented by our partners at Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. So if you head on over to Bet Online today and use your mobile device to join today and you make your first sports bet, if you use our promo code BELIEVE50, B L E A V 50, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Huge thanks to them for presenting this week's episode of the Bleed Los Podcast. Stop me by the Carnasada for a few minutes today. Uh, we had the one and only Jerry Harrison Jr. Jerry Harrison Jr., former Dodger, played for a bunch of teams, but uh, also currently is a analyst for Sportsnet LA for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, he stopped by and we chopped it up about a bunch of things. Joey Gallo, uh, uh, the World Baseball Classic, there's just a bunch of stuff. Great conversation with Jerry. Uh, we thank him for popping by, but in the interim, here is Jerry Harrison Jr. This is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And now, it's time for the Bleed Los Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan. And Alicia Del Valle. With the babyface gimmick in the sky, Roger. Stopping by the Carnesada for a few minutes uh, to chop it up. All things Los Angeles Dodgers baseball, of course, is a current Sportsnet LA uh, analyst and former Major League Baseball player himself. And a world champion, Jerry Harrison Jr. Jerry, how you doing? Doing well, guys. How you doing? Doing good. Thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. So I I, I want normally we start with Dodger stuff, all that jazz, right? But I wanted to ask you something because uh because uh the Dodgers didn't really make necessarily any crazy moves at the deadline, and you yourself were a deadline guy. You you once were uh, were moved at the deadline from the Cincinnati Reds to the uh, then New York champion uh, New York Yankees that same year that they won the series. Joey Gallo was acquired by the Dodgers, and I jokingly had told these guys that the Dodgers were probably going to go out and get Joey Gallo. That's just the Dodgers thing. That's you know just kind of what the writing was on the wall. Obviously now Joey's he's, he, they found whatever that you know the Dodgers did their magic and they found what they did. But outside of all that, you you move halfway through a season, right? You got to move your family. You got to do. You got to find a place to live. All that stuff. For those people that don't really understand that component, how hard is it to? to potentially adjust when you're going to your new destination once you're moved at the deadline like that? Well, it's not easy. I, I, it's not easy. It's, it's, I think, easier for veteran guys that have been through it. And as you start to play in the big leagues, you realize that uh, it's a business. I think if it's a younger guy and moving a teams and that's all you've known, one team, and then you move at the deadline, it could be a little bit of a shock. But at that point in my career, I, I started to, to kind of move. I got traded for Sammy Sosa in the offseason, going from Baltimore to Chicago. Uh, then I, I got traded from Chicago to the Texas Rangers right before the deadline. So when I did get traded from the Reds to the Yankees at the deadline, 
uh, it wasn't that big of a shock. Uh, I didn't want to leave Cincinnati uh, because I thought they had a young team. I was a veteran guy there. Uh, at that time, the young players were Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, Jay Bruce, a really good young core. Uh, uh, I know they had a couple of stud pitchers. I know they had Homer, Homer Bailey coming through, uh, Johnny Cueto, uh, Edison Volquez. So I wanted to be a part of that. Uh, then when the Yankees traded for me, uh, I was like, wow, they're the best team in baseball uh, by a lot. Uh, and they made just one move just so they could have a guy that covers Derek or A-Rod just to give him a rest. So, and that was so happened to be me. So uh, I love that group. Great uh, city, uh, incredible atmosphere. So when I got traded to that team, they welcomed me with open arms. Mariano Rivera, he was the first guy I saw there. Uh, first thing he said to me was, welcome home. You know, so uh, I felt right at home there. And uh, I love the fact that I got traded because I knew I had a chance to win the World Series and, and we were able to do so. Well, and thanks for uh, for hitting all the points I was about to hit as well with uh, with Mr. Gallo because obviously the change is, is working so far in his favor. And you guys, you know, obviously not the, the parallels are kind of there, right? He went from Texas to New York. That time didn't work out as, as a plan, and we all know kind of how that went, and we discussed it. Um, but Joey Gallo is also making an impact here. But also that, that was the other question I had because you walked into a clubhouse full of superstars too. You know, you had A-Rod on that team. You had DJ on that team. You had Mo. Uh, Andy Pettit, you had all, you know, you had superstars. And now you look forward to this team and uh, the the world of Twitter would tell you that this team is struggling, right? The, we all know Eric Carroll himself said, said it best. You look at the Dodgers and, and you can almost just about guarantee they're going to make the postseason, right? That's that's kind of the, the, the plan. But the next part is, and we're looking past that now, is, you know, they, it looks like the, the division is all but locked up unless something completely goes sideways that's scientifically impossible. Is this team poised to make a run? Because the way that some fans put it out to be is like with, with some of the injuries that the sky is falling. Granted, Walker Beeler is done for the season. That's unfortunate. Looks like Clayton Kershaw's coming back. Dustin May came back and, and he had a hell of a return. And, uh, and the future is bright with that young man too. But all things considered, how do you look at this Dodgers, you know, go, team going ahead into the postseason? Well, I think anything can happen in this postseason, the way it's set up, uh, the format. Uh, usually when a team, if it's talented, if they catch fire at the right time, they could have an incredible postseason run and uh, obviously win the World Series. The way the Dodgers are structured, they are a postseason type of team. You know, you look at their starting rotation. Tony Gosselin is pitching like an ace. He has been outstanding. He has a serious chance to win the Cy Young. Uh, you got T.A. Tyler Anderson's also having an incredible year. He's a guy that's really found his niche here with the Dodgers. And he's 32 years young. I say that because he's starting to enter his prime. You know, sometimes guys' primes are from 26 to 33, 35. But for him, the way he found that new pitch, uh, meaning that cutter slash fastball up and into the right-handers, it's really helped his changeup. So that's why he's having an incredible season. And then you have Andrew Heaney. A guy, another guy that's is found his pitch, that slider has been devastating. So you add those three guys to Clayton Shaw, who has postseason experience, who's a stud when healthy. And I saw him pitch, uh, was it two days ago? Uh, he looks extremely healthy. Uh, I think he's going to be healthy for the postseason. Julio Urias, who's the ace of this staff, make no mistake, Julio is the ace of this staff. And the kid, this Dustin May guy that we just saw, who's throwing about 100, 101 miles an hour, who's going to be added to this mix. You add those guys to this lineup, 
that we have and their stud bullpen. We're going to get Blake Trinan back. Uh, so I think they're the team to beat, not just in the National League, but in, the, in, in Major League Baseball. Sure, the Mets are talented. Anytime you have Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, you're a, a team to be dealt with. But all in all, the Dodgers are built for the postseason. That's why they didn't have to make crazy moves at the deadline. They really didn't have to. You make a Joey Gallo move that can help your bench, that can help a guy that can fill in as a designated hitter. He can play the outfield as well, has a great arm. Uh, so that's only the move you really needed to make because this lineup is formidable and is deadly when they're firing all cylinders. Yeah, well, and, and perfect lead in for uh, one Alicia Del Valle because uh, he, he said the buzzword, Julio Diaz, who should be the ace, should be called the ace, and is the ace in our opinion. Uh, but go ahead, Alicia. <laughs> yes, he is. I, I, I'm so grateful that. Um, Jerry, whenever anyone in the media recognizes Urias, I do get excited because I felt like several, like many of us, that Urias doesn't get his props. He doesn't get what he has earned. And he's so humble and quiet about it, right? He's not a flashy guy. Like, um, but I do want to touch on Joey Gallo first because uh, my colleague Alonso started with Joey. So I don't know, uh, here at the Bleed Lows podcast, we are all things Dodgers, LA culture, when Joey Gallo came over, I was, I, I swear we were praying, like, just get his head straight. The Dodgers do their magic. They tweaked his his uh, bat and it's working and he's smiling and he's enjoying having facial hair and all that good stuff. But have you heard of a thing called the curse of Joey Gallo? Because the Yankees record has been terrible since they traded him. And it's for fun and it's a joke. And we had a, a friend of the carne asada, La Chica Deportes, who's a big Mets and Yankees fan. When she was on, I asked her about it. And like she kind of laughed, but the Yankees lost again that night. Is that fun to play around with? Is that a thing? Um, does it really matter where you play? I mean, you, you've played for several teams. You have baseball legacy in your family, so you would know better than all of us. Does a switch moving actually make a difference? Does it, does it matter that much? Well, I, I think it does. You know, sometimes guys, certain guys are comfortable in certain places. I know Joey Gallo is from Nevada, I believe. Uh, and he's a West Coast guy. Maybe he wasn't comfortable in New York. Maybe he feels comfortable having some facial hair and having to shave every day may have drove him crazy. Uh, again, playing in New York, it's not for everyone. Uh, obviously, the media scrutiny, scrutiny there is unforgiving, especially if you get off to not a great start. I don't believe in curses whatsoever. Uh, I just think that he just needed to change the scenery. And then when you get here in L.A., the, the Dodgers, uh, I know the hitting coaches have tweaked his swing a little bit. Maybe they told him something that clicked for him. You know, I know that I know Aaron Boone very well. He's a good friend of mine. I know he's got a great coaching staff. I just think for a variety of reasons, things just didn't work out for Joey there. But that doesn't make them bad as an organization or bad as a franchise. Just things just don't work out. But now that Joey kind of can take a, a deep breath, he feels this is a fresh start. He feels like this is a team maybe he's just more comfortable with, uh, that he doesn't have to be the guy. When he got traded over to the Yankees, he was the guy. You know, he's the guy hit right in the middle of the lineup, right behind Aaron Judge, right right in front of uh, Giancarlo Stanton, and he could be that guy. Here at the Dodgers, he doesn't have to be that guy because you got Mookie Betts, you got Trey Turner, Freeman, Will Smith. 
he could be a guy that can come off the bench when need be or spot star here or there. And I think he just welcomed that change of scenery. He loves L.A., and he's just comfortable there. So I hope it continues for him. L.A. is a great place. New York's a great place. I love the vibe. I love playing on the East Coast. I love playing for the Orioles. I love playing for the Nationals. And I love playing for the Yankees. I, I love that energy. And I didn't mind getting booed because I was used to getting booed. <laughs> so I booed myself. And I, if I didn't play well, hey, I know I'm not playing well, but I never took it personal. You know, there are some guys that take it personal, you know, but I'm glad that Joey's here. He seems like he's comfortable and he has definitely has a new swing. He's definitely made some adjustments and it's working for him. Amen. So grateful. And with that said, I again, you have a ring with the Yankees, right? A 2009, like so dope. Something I can only imagine about. But they are, I feel like the Yankees and the Yankees fans are very proud to carry the title of evil empire. And so the Dodgers have been doing Dodgers things for years now. And I keep, not keep, I, it keeps coming up, especially on the Twitterverse, trying to link the, the Dodgers organization with that same title, like the evil empire <laughs> of the West Coast. And I just don't, I don't feel that way. I don't think it's our John. You said it yourself. The media in New York is brutal, unforgiving. We're sunshine here, baby. We 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 sell out our stadium more than any stadium in the country. And I don't know. I don't want to be called the evil empire. Do you think that's legit? It's just the money, well, right? <laughs> I think. Well, here's it. I think you're going to have haters, you know. And start with the Yankees, uh, Mr. Steinbrenner, the boss. Uh, and I'll just steal mine from from. Derek, you know, G always talked about, you know, why are we evil? Because we try to win every year? That makes us evil? We have an owner in George Steinbrenner who's always trying to make sure that he puts a product on the field that's competitive. Why is that evil? There's a lot of teams that are making a lot of money and they're pocketing their money. Mr. Steinbrenner would take the money and he would put it on the field. So I don't think that's evil. Uh, you want, if you're a fan of the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs, whoever, you want ownership to put money on the field, you know? Uh, so that, I don't think that makes them evil. I, I just think everybody hates the Yankees and it starts from Babe Ruth to Luke Garrick to DiMaggio, Mantle, uh, on down the line, Mariano Rivera, Jeter, Hairston, Posada. Uh, so um, <laughs> I love teams that pour money into mm -hmm. their organizations and their franchise. And the Dodgers, you know, it's amazing. Everybody talks about the Dodgers spend so, so much money the Dodgers really haven't spent a whole lot of money. They've done an incredible job drafting guys, signing guys. They drafted Clayton Kershaw. They signed Julio Urias. They drafted Corey Seager. I know Seager's no longer here, but he's a superstar talent. Walker Buehler they drafted, drafted Will Smith. They've done an incredible job drafting guys. They spent money in draft, uh, excuse me, in scouting, so they can draft guys uh, to sign guys as well. And they've done an incredible job using those prospects in trades. They traded mm -hmm. away a lot of prospects to get Mookie Betts and David Price. So, mm -hmm. again, the Dodgers do an incredible job de developing talent. And there's a lot of organizations that don't spend money in, in, in scouting department and don't spend money developing guys. And they get what they pay for. So don't fault the Dodgers for doing the right thing. That's right. Tell him, Jerry. Um, before I send it over to Juan, for someone who's not been to Dodger Stadium, um, I, I, I take it very personally that being a diehard Dodger fan, a loyal fan as we all are, uh, the experience of Dodger Stadium, I just feel in there's just not any others like going to Dodger Stadium, like being at a game there, 
sunset over the park. Now you've got the mariachis. Um, we kind of try to always ask our guests about, do you like the mariachis? Do you like the wave? And do you have a problem with booing your own team? Which is starting to pick, like it's, it happens here and there and I don't like it. I'm especially Muncie, oh, I get so mad. But it's not our jam. It's not a Dodgers thing. It's not a legacy and it's starting to happen. Do any of those things bother you? Because again, you've played, <laughs> you're a broadcaster, you would know better than all of us the experience of Dodger Stadium versus other ballparks. Uh, I got a chance, first of all, playing at Dodger Stadium is an incredible experience. I love playing at Dodger Stadium as a visiting player. You know, I was, I don't know if you guys remember, I'm sure you remember, uh, when Manny Ramirez uh, came off the bench years ago and hit a grand slam on his bobblehead net. Remember, Dodger Stadium was packed and it was rocking, it was loud. Well, I was playing shortstop for the Reds that night. You know, and Manny, Manny Ramirez hit that ball, and I said, no way, he just came off the bench, hit a grand slam. And he winked at me coming around second base. Uh, but I just remember being there that night in that atmosphere, and I remember watching Manny rounding third. I'm going home. I was like, you know what? I would love to play here someday. I would love to play here someday. Uh, it's an incredible environment, great atmosphere. Do some fans boo? Uh, their their home players, yes, but I mean, I don't I don't like it. You know, being a Dodger fan, I don't think you should boo your home team. But as a player, I've had forty thousand people in Baltimore boo me. You know, when I was hitting two fifteen, struggling in April, but I said, you know what, I don't want them to boo me. I need to play better. I never took it personal. You know, so you know, I know fans pay their hard earned money, um, and they decide to pay sometimes now 150 to 200 to 300 bucks with their family. If they want to boo, that's on them. I never take a person because I always, as a player, put a lot of pressure on myself because this is a performance-based business. And if I'm not performing well, guess what? I might get let go. I might get sent down. I might get traded. Uh, that's just the nature of the beast. So I always said, you know what? If you want the fans to cheer, do something great. Right. Play well. You know, so I've always thought that. And the wave... I, mean, I don't really care. Some you people know. have very strong opinions about the wave. And I'm just like, I'd rather you do the wave than boo our own players. That's that's where I come from. <laughs> it's joy. It's joy. People really get into it at Dodger Stadium. Uh, right, one? <laughs> that's right. Uh, Jerry, you're the perfect guy to ask this because you made the transition from being a player to being a broadcaster. And part of your job as a broadcaster is analysis. And sometimes with analysis, you have to be critical of people. Before, once the Joey Gallo trade happened and you had heard the story about how he wouldn't leave his apartment in New York because he was afraid of what New Yorkers would say to him. Out here, I was very happy to see that the Dodgers are actively cheering for this guy. They want to see this guy succeed. And we mentioned how some people are just not built for New York because the media is really tough in New York. And what cracks me up is, so it's okay to be critical and tough in New York, but in LA, when people say, hey, we, we gotta be tough like that. But the minute they are, people get all upset. And I say this because friend of the carne asada, Dylan Hernandez, he's a columnist. He'll write you know, articles and then players get mad at him. Whether it's real or not, I know that some players are very, they read the stuff that's out there. You being a broadcaster, 
do you just complete do you approach the players differently knowing that hey man how come you're coming at me so hard being you were one of us you you know how hard it is to play this game uh, that's a great question i have never had one player come up to me and say bro why did you say that about me uh and they really shouldn't because i'm an analyst i don't have to be critical as an analyst i can give suggestions i can i can tell the fans maybe why that person is struggling i can tell the fans and remind the fans how hard this game is. You know, uh, Max Muncy didn't get off to the best of starts this year. And I would say certain times during the, our pregame or the postgame show, maybe certain things why he wasn't succeeding. And it wasn't making excuses because you never make excuses as a player. But him having an elbow injury, I've had that similar injury in the past. And it's really hard to get extended. As a hitter, you have to get extended. If you don't get extended, you cut your swing off, it's next to impossible to not only drive the ball, but to square the baseball up consistently. So he had to get over that hump mentally and maybe physically as well. And once he got over the hump and he made that adjustment, he started taking off. And I've never been critical of players. I've suggested certain things. Cody Bellinger. We all know Cody Bellinger, MVP, Rookie of the Year. We love Cody. Best defensive center fielder, in my opinion, in baseball. Has he struggled at the plate this year? Yes, he knows he's struggled. I've always said he'd need to make adjustments. You know, he is an incredible athlete. He's made an adjustment the last couple of days. I've seen him choking up on the on the baseball bat. That allows him to control the bat head a little easier. Now, would I prefer him to be more Ken Griffey Jr., have that bat straight up to make it more A to B swing like he did in the postseason? I've mentioned that several times. He says he doesn't feel as comfortable doing that way. But I never attacked a player personally because I know I'm a career 260 hitter. You know, I played this game a long time. I played this game since I was two years old. My grandfather played, my uncle, my dad, my brother played. We know how hard this game is. So every time I'll make it a suggestion, I care for the player. You know, and I always make sure that, and the players know that. They understand. I always have their best interests at heart because, listen, we're all Dodgers. We're all Dodger fans. We want everybody to succeed because if everybody succeeds, guess what? We're going to be champions again. You know, so I always want to see Cody, Max Muncy, everybody thriving in their clubhouse. You know, it's funny, Jerry, because I, one of the bits that I love, and because Rafael Arroyo is, is a friend of the carne asada, the, your bit on the one knee trash. So oh, Will, Smith, Will Smith never came back at you and be like, hey, no. man. Uh, but I think you're right, and I'm very curious as to why they continue to teach this. Now, maybe it's because I'm showing my age here, and I grew up watching Mike Sosha, and I assume every catcher should be like Mike Sosha when it comes to blocking the plate. But the one-knee trash, could you explain it for those of our listeners who are not aware of the one-knee trash? So one-knee trash is when you see uh, major league catchers go on one knee, and they're in a very unathletic position at, at the plate. I have, guys, I've, I've played for nine different teams. I have friends, uh, about four or five guys I'm really close with that are big league managers. I have friends that are uh, coaches. I have friends that are assistant GMs, GMs as well. So I've gotten a chance to talk to quite a few people. And I've talked to some catchers, too, that are currently playing. A lot of these catchers are forced to do it. They're forced to do it. A couple of these guys don't want to do it. So that's why I've been so vocal about that one knee trash. There's a reason why the Dodgers have been so successful stealing bases this season. 
And it started last postseason because anytime you see a catcher go to a knee, take off. It's impossible for the impossible for these catchers to throw you out because they're un, they're in an unathletic position. Uh, I've gotten arguments with a couple uh, managers, not the Dodger manager, but a couple of guys that I'm really close with that are managing uh, currently in the big leagues. We've had text chains just going back and forth. I go, you guys are wrong. It's wrong. You're, you're, what athlete, whether you're a middle linebacker, whether you're a first baseman, whether you're a basketball player, can you say, hey, get in an athletic position. Okay, now get on one knee. Is that an athletic position? Of course not. So what makes being a catcher getting on one knee? What makes you being an athlete on one knee? you got to be able to move side to side as a catcher. Am I right? Yeah. So, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm right. The reason why they're doing it is because they're trying to steal strikes. They know it's not a good position to be in. They're trying to steal a strike. So I said, hey, if there's nobody on base, man, knock yourself out. Be Tony Pena. Tony Pena used to do that. You know what I'm saying? Be Tony Pena. Be Benito Santiago. But if there's a runner on third base, if there's a runner in scoring position, man, get off your knees, bro, because you can't block the ball. We see it every single night. So the people, even catchers, have agreed with me, Jerry, bro, I know. I don't want to be on a knee. I don't. They're making me do it. And I know a lot of catchers around Major League Baseball, a couple of them, I should say, hate doing it but they're forced to do it because they, they want to steal a strike. And that's why we appreciate you, Jerry, because you give honest analysis here. I, I do want to recognize the historical significance that you play in baseball. And, uh, you know, there is that personality that comes off on screen, but I do sense a little bit of humility on your end. So I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to not be so humble. First of all, this is a Hall of Famer that we're talking to because he was inducted into the Southern Illinois Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> and, you know, hey, that's I, I've never been inducted to a Hall of like, Fame, so I give you your props. You're going to bring somebody on. So you're <laughs> hey, you're a Hall of Famer in our book, Jerry. But the fact that your grandfather played the sport, your father played the sport, your brother, your uncle, I think you even had other family members play the sport. I mean, there's the Griffies, right? But I, I don't think the Griffies had that many family members. To me, the, the only ones I can think of are the Ripkins, right? But I mean, you go back, and this is very important to me. You are the first African-American to be a third-generation major leaguer. I, 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 I'm setting this up because I wanted to ask you about Mookie and the shirt that Mookie wore at the All-Star Game. I'm a little perplexed as to why that is not a bigger deal I appreciate that Mookie did that. We've talked to Don Trell about it earlier in the show, and Don Trell, in his words, is we got to go into the hood, you know, and we got to get African Americans to start playing baseball. To me, I, I, you tell me, Jerry, I feel the reason why maybe African Americans are not playing Major League Baseball is there's a quicker route to the pros in other, in other sports. I really feel that. I don't think people want to play in the minor leagues for three or four years. I hear these nightmare stories from people in the minor leagues. Like, you know, they can't, they don't have money to buy food. They can't pay their rent. Who wants to go through that when you could play football and you're going to get paid really quick. Now the NBA is getting rid of that one and done in, in college. So the NBA is another route. How, in your opinion, and I know this is not falling all on you, Jerry, but how do we get African-Americans to start playing this sport? Because 
when Mookie signed with the Dodgers, I saw all the African-Americans in Los Angeles going, we finally got somebody. Like us Mexicans, we, we're all out for Julio. We got Valenzuela yeah. and all that stuff. But African-Americans, I think, are hungry to see somebody out there that represents them. That's an incredible question. You know, first, you know, I, I come off on TV. I'll ask you the first question. I love to have fun on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll push the envelope a little bit because I know how hard people work. And when they get home uh, before the game, a lot, want, a lot of people want to be informative. I uh, mean, they want to get that information, but they want to have fun. And I love to have fun on air. And whether I kind of prop myself up or bring myself down, I want to be able to make sure that the audience is having a good time because I know how hard people work out there. They want to be able to turn on TV and relax. Um, yeah, I'm very humbled by being that first uh, black family to have three generations. Scott also, my brother, joined us as well. Uh, I know how hard it was for my grandfather, my father as well, my uncle. That's why I played so hard as a player. You know, I, I, I didn't take it for granted. I'm not a superstar. I'm not, I wasn't Aaron Judge. I wasn't Alex Rodriguez. I had to fight for everything I got. And, and my whole family did. Um, but we love the game of baseball. When it comes to black players in the game, I think it's so important to have players be visible. You, know, you just mentioned Mookie Betts, right? We finally have somebody in the LA area, and it's been a while. Matt Kemp was that guy uh, that we can see. So kids need to be able to see their heroes. You know, when I was in Chicago, Michael Jordan was literally on my TV screen just about every night. But I also had Harold Baines. You know, I also had my father uh, around. Uh, so Andre Dawson. So many black players as, as a kid I looked up to. Barry Larkin, Kirby Puckett, Eddie Murray, Ken Griffey Jr., so, Eric Davis. So many guys. And I think we need to get back to that. And I think we are starting to get to that point. Hunter Green is a great up-and-coming superstar. He's with the Reds. Uh, I was just at the Hank Aaron Invitational with my son. My son, you know, he'll be, he's a 2024 kid. He may go to college. But we saw about 125, <clears throat> excuse me, but <clears throat> scratchy throat. At 125 kids, they're going to be juniors and seniors this year that are going to take that mantle. You know, and I'm like, so many talented guys. And I said, Jerry, we have about 130, 140 kids that are freshmen and sophomores are going to be better than our juniors and seniors. If you take the five kids that were drafted this year, the first five picks, four of them were African-American. Four of them. So we have young guys coming. You know, so I think hopefully, and I was talking to those young guys, go, go, you guys can be that face. You guys can be Kennedy Jr. You guys can be Eric Davis, Yeti Murray's, the Hank Aaron's, Willie Mays. Those guys that can be on that TV screen that could be visible to kids. That's why I was hoping guys like Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stan would, would have done the home run derby in L.A. I was praying for that. Now, I know Giancarlo was hurt and I know Aaron was dealing with something in Mookie Betts. He had that hip issue last year. So, listen, I know that they had injuries, but I would have loved for those guys to be a part of the home run derby, to see those kids can see their heroes participate in the home run derby. So I think we're starting to get back to that. Uh, but I know there's kids coming, man. They, they're coming. And uh, I know it's harder for kids to pick up a bat and you need eight, nine guys to play a baseball game as opposed to I can go in my, in my backyard and shoot hoops by myself. You bit better by myself. So I think it's easier 
to practice basketball on your, by yourself than let's say baseball by yourself. Right. And one other point too, you talked about the college route. If you want our game to really thrive, you have to figure out a way for colleges to have full scholarships for baseball. Basketball has full scholarships, football has full scholarships. So that's why they're able to scratch off baseball players and guys are leaving baseball to play football and basketball because there's a full ride. I can play, if I play basketball, I can get a full ride in basketball. I can get a full ride in football. But if I play football, uh, play baseball, I can only get 40%, 30%. So that has to change. Now, how are they gonna do that? NIL money? Or does Major League Baseball set up a college fund to help you know, colleges, I don't know how they're gonna do it, be able to have Division One scholarships Every school that's Division One has full ride. If they do that, I'm telling you, more black kids will play the game. More minorities, not just black, more minorities. African Americans, Mexican kids throughout this country will have a greater opportunity to play this game. You know what? I, I really appreciate you saying that because I, I, I really don't think people really understand how important it is to see someone on the screen that looks like you. And, and what that does to you. I mean, I am a Dodger fan because of Fernando Valenzuela. You know, I, I saw, you know, hey, there's a Mexican guy, you know, playing baseball. And I know that uh, I know we're up against it, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, Jerry. But I, I think you did a really great job of expressing there why it is important uh, for us to see not only African-Americans, but a, a just more diverse uh, yeah. group of players in, in Major League Baseball. Yay, wait, wait, wait. On that note, it's pretty special as well, Jerry, that the legacy of baseball with the men in your family, but your mother is Mexicana, see? She's Mexican. Do yes. People need to know that as well, like representation times two. <laughs> hey, Jerry knows that. I mean, Jerry my, played my, for my, Mexico in the WBC. Me. So it's like he represented. My mom, Esperanza Ariano, uh, she's from Sonora. Uh, we have a lot of family there in, in Mexico. They're huge Dodger fans because of Fernando Valenzuela. And my mom, uh, her favorite player is Fernando Valenzuela. My dad, not her son, not Scott, <laughs> not Scott is Fernando Valenzuela. Fernando Mina, that's what my mom loved Fernando. You know, right. so Love uh, it. Because, because he represented so much. You know, yes. he carried so much of that culture uh, uh, for the Dodgers. So... Uh, trust me, I understand. And my mom is very, still to this day, is still passionate uh, about the, the sport of baseball. You know, it's amazing. Yesterday we had Women's Day uh, at Dodger Stadium. And I'm so glad. I have two daughters. One is a huge volleyball player. Uh, the, the baby is a softball player. They love the sport of baseball. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked. Alicia, I know that you're passionate about your Dodgers. But there are so many women that are passionate about the sport of baseball, and they should not get overlooked. Because just because, you don't have to be a man to appreciate this great game. Trust me, my mom has appreciated the game. She's the one who drove all of us when we were kids to Little League. She's the one who pitched, pitched us wiffle balls as well. Now, my dad was, was working. And my dad, when he had his time, he obviously helped us a lot. But when he was gone playing, my mom was right there taking us, uh, pitching to us, making sure uh, that we had our practice time. And she's uh, an incredible woman. Uh, and, yes, she's very passionate about uh, the sport of baseball, like a lot of women are. 
Ooh. You know, Jerry, before we let you go, I, we, we, I, I'm sorry, I know we're past it, but you just brought up your mom and Valenzuela. So we, we, we want to get your opinion on this. Yes. The fact that Valenzuela's jersey is not retired. Look, we just lost Mike Brito this year. It would have meant a lot for Brito to see Valenzuela's jersey retired. And anybody who listens to the show, I know we sound like a broken record, but it's a big deal for Harin. Harin has said this. Harin was on the show. He told us he's had conversations with the Dodgers about this. He wants to see that. Wouldn't your mother love to see Valenzuela's jersey? I, I, I think it's embarrassing, honestly, with the number of Latino fans in that stadium. They don't give the number out, Jerry. Yeah, I think that's the biggest key right there. Uh, they never give that number out. And, and if they, even if they did, no player would want to wear that number. If they would, let's say, offered me 34, are you crazy? That's Fernando Valenzuela's number. There's no way I would wear that number. Uh, so just that fact alone, the reason why it's so heavy, meaning for the player not to wear that, there's a reason for that. There, there's a reason for that. Because he not only mattered, he was the icon wearing that number. So I understand there are some organizations, Dodgers aren't the only organization that feel that you have to have you have, to, you have to be a Hall of Famer to retire that number. I think there are exceptions. Uh, and I, I hope the Dodgers make that exception. I, uh, uh, obviously, that it's above my pay grade. I don't make those decisions. Uh, the Dodgers are an incredible organization. But if they would retire that number, I think uh, a lot of fam, fans would uh, welcome it. Uh, Fernando meant so much, not just for the, to the Dodgers, but the sport of baseball in, in Mexico. And for all the Mexican Americans, not just in LA, but around around this country, Fernando Mania stretched stretched out to Chicago when I was a kid. I knew about Fernando Mania, to the East Coast. So uh, hopefully someday uh, they'll be able to do that. No, hundred percent. And last one, and then we'll say you lose. We we already talked about tacos with you on the blue carpet. What I was curious of is what's your hot sauce choice? Oh my god! So. This I might lose my uh, my black card and my Mexican card all, <laughs> all in one sentence. Okay, my dad and my mom are embarrassed about this, but I don't like spicy. I don't like spicy things. I just don't. That's my black side and my Mexican side. Which <laughs> my parents love spicy stuff, but for whatever reason, I lost that gene. I'm more of a sweet tooth type of guy. So if can I take a little spicy? Of course I can take a little spice, but a lot of spice. I just don't like the taste, you know, so I, I know I'm going to lose a lot of my Mexican fan base, but trust me, I, I lose a lot, a lot of my black side as well. What a reason. I just don't like spicy stuff. Jerry Harrison just let down the entire state of Sonora. I know. And, uh, <laughs> hey, Jerry, you can edit you this go? out, right? You can edit this question. <laughs> it was going so well. It was going so well. And then uh, trust, me, trust me, my mom's my mom like, Hito, Hito. <laughs> Really? Okay. <laughs> my, hey, my, hey, Jerry, my. do you identify as a Blacksican or Afro-Latino? Blacksican. Blacksican. I, I, just say, like I just say Blacksican because I think it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. You know, but I'm proud of both my heritage, heritage because, like, like you mentioned, I, I played for Team Mexico in 2009. And I'll tell you what, when I played for Team Mexico with me and my, my brother Scott, my mom was probably more proud of that than me actually being a major league baseball player. You know, uh, wow. she was through the roof uh, when, uh, when we played for that team. And it was an incredible experience. 
Uh, I remember playing Mexico City, playing in that stadium. We, me and my brother got a mariachi band for the team to surprise the team. Uh, the team loved it. Incredible group of guys. Jorge Cantu, uh, I'm still friends to this day. Alfredo Armazaga, he's an incredible guy too. So we had an incredible team. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez as well. We loved that team. And uh, we were definitely proud to re represent Mexico. Now, I'm also sure Alfredo Armazaga played a bunch of corn in that clubhouse too, knowing that yeah. guy. <laughs> nothing but metal. You know him well. Yes, yeah, I know that guy well. Hey, Jerry, is the WBC going to come around then? Because I saw a lot of American players have committed to 2023. Yes, yes, it, it's, it's coming. It's coming. I know they haven't committed yet, but I think now you have to file something to make sure you get the paperwork in. But trust me, uh, Team Mexico will be set. They'll be ready to go. Man, we're huge proponents of the WBC, too. I feel like it's one of the under underrated tournaments in the world, right? There's the World Cup of soccer, you know, even the World Cup of, uh, of basketball. But I feel like the bas the baseball World Cup uh, with the Dominicans and the Puerto Ricans and obviously La Raza, the Mexicans, who, who have low-key, really good talent. That's the thing, right? Like, like people forget that there's a lot of talent in Mexico. Absolutely. And hopefully Julio Rodriguez uh, is heading up that staff for Team Mexico. That's uh, that's the hope, right? That, uh, yeah. that he pulls up and does the damn thing. Jerry Harrison Jr., uh, SIU Hall of Famer, uh, the MVP for the 2009 New York Yankees World Series team. As far as he knows, he'll tell anyone and everyone that. Uh, but also a hot sauce denier. I wasn't expecting that today. That was the, <laughs> that was the major league curveball I didn't see coming today. But give me the, I give you all the churros, too. Give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Churros yeah. pan dulce. <laughs> Wait, do you do you uh, do you tamarindo? Do you do tamarindo candy? Oh, absolutely! I do the tamarindo. Oh, absolutely! Redemption, the redemption yeah. tour right there. Dulce de leche, cake, cake, cake. Yeah. <laughs> the comeback sometimes is greater than the letdown. But as far as that goes, Jerry, thank, thank you so much Jerry. for joining us, man. We really appreciate yeah. it, and uh, and let's do it again. Absolutely, and the tamarindo. I ha I make tamarindo margaritas. Oh, okay. You I have my attention. Well, 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 I'm going to have to try <laughs> six to ten of those uh, because yeah. fire. Uh, thanks again, Jerry. Appreciate you, man. Anytime, guys. There you have it. Huge thanks to Jerry Harrison Jr. for stopping by. Uh, can't thank him enough for uh, for all the wisdom and knowledge and uh, and even the insight on uh, on Mexican food. So huge thanks to Jerry for stopping by. Uh, this episode was presented by our partners at Bet Online. If you head on over to their website today, which is betonline.ag, and use our promo code, which is believe fifty, B L E A V five zero, uh, you will receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. So huge thanks to them. Head on over to their website. Uh, huge thanks to everyone, the crew, myself, Babyface Gimmick, and Sky Roger, uh, the Prince of Darkness, Juanito Ramirez. And, uh, and Alicia Del Valle, the Princess of Picolania, a huge thanks uh, from us to you guys for all the support, and uh, we will catch you down the road, and go Dodgers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.